I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. To discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. Who remembers this? This is the BBC Home Service, despite what the light programme says. And what does the light programme say? They say... This is the BBC Light Programme. Ted, how can we tell you apart? Well, our programme has naturally wavy hair, for instance, and we make insular announcements like this. Here is a Hindu warning. Hindus are raging in sea areas, Cromarty, Firth, Forth, Fifth and Sixth. Gale Force Hindus are sweeping eastward from Iceland, Shetland, and the Ponies. <laughs> Further Hindus are sweeping in from the east. That is the hand of the Endu warning. <laughs> Tom. Pardon me, Wal, but what's a Hindu? It lays eggs. Crazy stuff. And that was, of course, The Goon Show, an iconic BBC radio comedy from yesteryear written by and starring the great Spike Milligan, who died 20 years ago. And who better to explore his life and legacy than two of his biggest fans, Private Eyes Ian Hislop and Nick Newman, whose friendship goes way back to school, where they bonded over all things irreverent. Bolstered by access to letters and BBC archives, Spike is their new play at the Watermill Theatre, focusing on the golden age of the goons and Spike's battles with the BBC and himself. Uh, Since meeting at school, Ian and Nick have gone on to form a decades-long working relationship at the forefront of British political satire. Ian is editor, of course, of Private Eye, which recently celebrated 60 years in print. Gosh, I'm the same age as Private Eye. And you can find Nick's cartoons in the magazine, as well as his weekly offerings in the Sunday Times, where politicians fall victim to his pen. He's certainly got a lot to work with this week, as you may have seen on Twitter, where I reposted some of his great uh, caricatures. Um, welcome to you both. Um, I wonder first if we could just have a, a brief chat about uh, what's been go- going on this week. Because, Ian, I think that when you first went to Private Eye, Spike Milligan used to still send you stuff for possible inclusion, didn't he? Um, do you think he would have been busy this week? What do you think he would have sent you? 
Well, his, his general view that the country is run by idiots, I think, would probably have been sustained. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he was a... I mean, Nick used to say that um, Spike was an inspiration because he had great ideas, but he couldn't draw very well. Uh, <laughs> so he would send in these cartoons um, and you'd think, yeah, well, we'll put it in it's Spike Milligan. Yeah, no, it was great to see as a young cartoonist starting out that you didn't have to draw at all well to be able to, to get published. <laughs> Huge so relief. Is that how he inspired you, Nick? Yeah. By being not very good? <laughs> no, he, he, he predated that, actually, because um, I was sort of brought up on the goons. Um, I, was, I, was, I was brought up in Singapore and um, we had no uh, television and we just listened to, to goon shows all the time. It was just a wonderful, idyllic childhood. <laughs> And how how different were the goons uh, from from what had gone before? I mean, they were quite revolutionary in a way, which which people might not really grasp nowadays. Yes, I, well, we we well, sorry, I'll, I'll no no uh, yeah, there. yeah go on. <laughs> um, well, one of the things that we sort of um, came across in doing our research is is how satirical um, the goons were, and this was one of the sort of bones of contention between. Uh, Spike and the BBC, um, the, the BBC management were endlessly hauling him into, into the office to say, why are you doing an impression of the Queen? And Spike would say, it's not an impression of the Queen, it's a character called the Duchess Boyle de Spudswell. And the, the BBC would say, no, it's the Queen, it's quite obviously the Queen. And, and that sort of thing. In fact, you know, the, the royal family ended up as big goon fans, so it wasn't that subversive. But um, at the time, you no know, people weren't doing that. So I think it was groundbreaking in, in, in many respects. Ian, what was it about Spike Milligan that first uh, attracted you? Well, I mean, he, I knew Spike a little bit and I had to interview him once um, uh, and uh, for a BBC uh, radio sort of birthday interview. And in those days, uh, you, you gave the birthday guest a bottle of champagne. And I opened this bottle and um, the champagne went all over my notes. Um, and this was live and there was nothing left but a sort of sea of green ink. And Spike thought this was the funniest thing that had ever happened um, and uh, started interviewing himself, <laughs> which is much better than me interviewing him. And from then on, I felt I sort of owed him one. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, I, I love his stuff and I just, I feel we got a bit trapped into thinking of the goons only as the, the old men into which they turned, you know, Spike very stroppy in later life, Harry Seacombe doing highway and religious programmes and singing and Peter Sellers making these sort of films that went, you know, sort of more and more nuts. But we wanted to resurrect them as sort of entirely brilliant young men who were doing something completely different. And The Goons is extraordinary. I'm glad you've also come clean about, uh, you know, the fact that you're also a fan of the Downing Street style drinking culture on the job. <laughs> <laughs> you've revealed your true colours there, Ian Hiddle. <laughs> um, talk to me about that period then, because you have, you've, you, you've zoomed in, uh, uh, Nick, haven't you, um, uh, on the first three years of The Goon Show as, as, as a Spike Battles to get it on air. So actually not in there heyday uh, if you will so what was it about this period in particular well it's it's a sort of period where they started off um being called the the the, the crazy gang and um and there was another show called the crazy gang so bbc management suggested they be called the young crazy gang which was completely different um and spike <laughs> fought and fought for it to be called the goon show and eventually 
he won that battle with the help of his producers. Um, it was just a succession of battles with the BBC to get on and, and produce the sort of show that they wanted to do, which was anarchic, subversive, um, sort of quite uh, very, very noisy. Um, the BBC was always complaining about it being too noisy, in spite would just say, well, stand further away from the radio then. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, uh, it, 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 it was... Um, it was a sort of major irritant to the management of the BBC. And that's what sort of appealed to us. The, the, the thought that Spike came out of the war, having, having spent five years fighting Hitler and Mussolini, um, and then sort of went almost straight into a battle with the BBC um, over, over the sort of pioneering broadcasting. You know, he wanted to do something different. Up until then, it was very much stand-up comedians, Max Miller, people coming on just telling gags. Whereas spoke, mm. uh, Spike told, um, told these uh, surreal, absurdist stories, which broke all gra- all rules and were, was an inspiration to, to countless com- comedians subsequently. Ian, did he find the same sort of packing order as he'd endured in the army uh, when he started dealing uh, with the BBC? And was that partly what was so funny about his letters? Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, we got access to this archive of BBC letters, which is Spike endlessly complaining about money and the repeats not going out on time and having no support. And uh, the BBC sort of um, saying, well, I mean, Spike's, I mean, he only writes the show. No one's interested in that. The real stars are Peter Sellers and Harry Seacombe, and they're absolutely marvellous. And we must pay them more. So there was a there was a very funny sort of institutional correspondence there. Um, but Basically, all of them were, you know, working class um, men who'd gone into the army. And by the end of five years, they'd really had enough of of, um, uh, the officer class. Um, And then they left the army and then they hit the BBC and found they were there again. Uh, And um, they were told, you know, we've all had enough of the war. And God, this was 53. That was eight years ago. It was eight years since the end of the war. And people saying, oh, can't we move on? We've had enough of it. I mean, eight years ago is nothing. You know, it's the financial crash. You know, do we never want to hear about that again? Is that boring? Um, you know, well, I, mean, I don't know. You say that, but now we've got people saying, oh, can we move on from Partygate? Because it was eight days ago, you know, or yesterday. So <laughs> that is a very think... good point. Plus <laughs> change. Plus change. Yes, I, I love just... the fact that we're being told to move along by the police. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who haven't yet submitted their report. Yes. Well, we wait that with with no breath at all. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. (laughs) Um, I'm going to come back to all of that in just a few moments. But I wonder, you know, I mean, just looking at at, at sort of Spike Milligan's correspondence with the BBC, you know, uh, obviously he was incredibly pioneering at the time but it does feel like comedians have always been part of a sort of tug of war uh with the british broadcasting corporation uh, over jokes that that step very close to the line you know it, it's very much still the case isn't it with you know things being taken down right left and center because they they are considered to be uh you know offensive in in one way or the other did, you know going through all of this material did you have the feeling that they were more or less open to to anarchy and and you know subversiveness well i i think they were um you know they spike fought the censors all the time and you know, there's a sort of you know there's correspondence where between the, the spike and the bbc management management saying you know this reference to the pink oboe is very poor taste indeed and of course it was but it was an entire episode it was called 
the case of the pink oboe. And it, it's um, <laughs> things like that, which Spike managed to slip in. I mean, it's, it's not an exercise. Very unfortunate. <laughs> BBC choice. BBC. Um, it's not an exercise in BBC bashing this. Uh, we hasten to add, because for all the faults of the BBC, they did put Spike on. And this is the point that we make very forcefully in the play. Um, that, uh, you know, they, um, there were enough um, inspirational producers there to fight Spike's Corner. And and the result was this groundbreaking and revolutionary show. And it, there is a sense in which we, we nearly called the play Milligan's War, um, because Spike was always at war with someone. Um, it was the army, uh, well, it was Hitler to start with, then it was the British army, uh, then it was the BBC, and ultimately it was himself. So he... He had a sort of an unresolved um, desire, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to carry on fighting. And um, mm. uh, that, that was the wellspring of the comedy. And that's partly what we're trying to do in this play, is show that continuum from the war through to the goons. Yeah, and you, you also, um, Ian, make it, make it very clear that you wanted this to be a play where Spike wins. You know, he's so often depicted yep. as a, a troubled comic genius and, and you explore his battles uh, with mental health, but, but, but you really are here in full celebration mode in a way, aren't you? Do you feel it's important to defend his legacy? Well, yes, just because we have an awful lot of tears of a clown and we have an awful lot of, well, you know, yes, there were mental health issues. But, you know, as we know, tens of thousands of people have mental health issues and only one person wrote the goons. So it's quite interesting to remember the bit he did that was very, very good. Um, and I do feel it was um, worth, um, you know, trying to recreate a bit of that that stunning achievement and that um, sort of tsunami of joy and jokes um, that he unleashed. And I do feel sometimes that that's slightly forgotten in, in sort of biographies of comics that are very keen to say, well, they had utterly miserable lives, now do you feel better? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, I think uh, it's a, also yeah. a very um, a, a good time to, to remind people of how, how brilliant Spike was. Um, I think, uh, you know, the modern, uh, the, 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 the Zoomers, as it were, don't know who Spike is at all. Um, I, I think that you know, my children have never heard of him. And it's, it's um, been a great exercise to remind, you know, even our young cast, um, that here is a man who wrote fantastically well-constructed jokes and um, created very, very memorable characters. Um, and we've sort of been here before with, we, we produced a, a, a play um, a few years ago called The Wipers Times, which was um, about the trench newspaper in the First World War produced by, by a couple of officers, um, which we firmly believed was, was you know, the jokes was still uh, work today. And it was sort of a bit of a leap of faith to put them on the stage and see whether a modern audience would uh, respond to them. But they did, and, it ran, and we went into the West End and had a great time. Um, and it was, it's, it's the same, really, with Spike. You know, we, we, we think his stuff is good, and we're hoping that to showcase it to to other people, and and uh, you know, so far the reaction has been brilliant. I mean, the the, um, the the our our fantastic cast have managed to sort of recreate the world of the goons very very um, successful. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ian, a private eye recently celebrated, as I mentioned in the introduction, 60 years. Um, uh, and a question that you put uh, to, I think, readers on that anniversary was, is politics now too strange for satire? I wondered, given the week we're having now, um, how you'd respond. Um, did I ask the question or did someone ask me? Uh, I'm not sure, but either way, no, you I can answer my question. <laughs> Oh, yes. Well, you're, is it too strange satire? No, God, no. Um, uh, it's um, absolutely ripe at the moment. And um, uh, uh, the only problem is the speed of it and the amount of it. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a, um, <laughs> a, a country that essentially has fallen apart in the most extraordinary, I mean, the governance of which has fallen apart in the most extraordinarily short time um, because they insisted on um, voting for someone who... Uh, they were told repeatedly would be a disaster for the obvious reasons of his sort of moral, organisational and um, uh, uh, personal um, uh, failings. And um, they elected him anyway. Is that the thing you're most surprised by? I mean, you, you obviously, Boris Johnson was a favoured guest on, on Have I Got News For You, often uh, on there, so I'm sure you've encountered him on m many occasions. Were you surprised that people, or, or are you surprised that people are now surprised to find that he is very <laughs> much like you thought he was in the first place? If that isn't too yeah, complicated I mean, the, the, a question. No, no, he originally appeared on Have I Got News For You when he was um, uh, a conservative journalist who'd been found lying on his newspaper and trying to organise the beating up of a journalist. I pointed this out. He was very cross about it. Um, he came back and the joke about Boris was that he couldn't organise a panel show, let alone a constituency or a country. The fact that after his appearance was on the show, he then got a constituency, got voted, and got voted in as Mayor of London twice. <clears throat> Biggest electorate in Europe voted for Boris. Well, I didn't. <laughs> I'm not so taking what, the I mean, blame. Nick, you, you've been satirising uh, recent events in the Sunday Times, and 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 you've you know caricatured uh, Boris on numerous occasions. What do you think is the Boris appeal? Because as Neil points out, as Ian points out, despite his shortcomings, he has you know had you know election victory of a, of, of quite an extreme success. Well, I, I think people thought we've had this incredibly boring time of trying to sort out Brexit and Theresa May was incredibly dull. Um, and um, I think people thought it would be a bit of a laugh to have Boris. Let's see what, you know, surely he he's going to bring a bit of colour and, and jollity to the nation. And um, unfortunately, you know, sort of appointing a clown in charge of the of the government, it really isn't very funny. I mean, it's, it, it was a, it's a terrible, you know... Um, there are reasons why uh, he, uh, Boris would have a fantastic career doing a, a chat show or, you know, I've seen his, his TV programmes on the Crusades and things like that. And he's he's a very good entertainer. But you do have to wonder whether, you know, you should have just very, very boring people running the country rather than uh, than people who are a bit bit uh, cads and bounders, you know, and rotters. I don't know. Um, but that but would anyway, make so him that. 
that would make your job, Ian, very difficult, Nick, wouldn't Nick's it? I mean, redacted. Boris must be a gift. Sorry, <laughs> I'm saying already. Yeah, someone, someone's got to him. Cad, Bounder and Rotter. The bloke's a liar. The only time I, I met Boris was um, I went to a spectator lunch, which was obviously not a very boozy affair of the kind that <laughs> I, could, I could remember. It was, um, I, well, we were sort of crawling out of the door at the end. Um, it was very entertaining. He's a love. He was immense, immensely good company, but he told us um, it was a group of cartoonists. He told us um, that um, he was no longer the shadow cult, cult, culture secretary because uh, he'd been a bit of a chump, and th- those are his words. And he said, "I've been a bit of a chump. I took on too much. I'm trying to be the editor, and I've also got my constituency, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And he sort of he failed to mention the fact that he had actually been sacked by Michael Howard that week. For um for for lying about his his affair with um with another journalist, and it's that you know when you meet him you think well oh, he this is what he does he just does, he's disingenuous is a disingenuous word but um uh you know he in, in my one encounter with him he was he was um a, a little short on 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 the on the verite I think. <laughs> Um, but Ian, isn't apathy the, the the enemy of satire? And 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 people are failing to be outraged. Um, you know, I mean, there seems to be a very even split really at the moment with people who just want you know Boris to get on with it and run the country and sort out the uh, Russia Ukraine situation and bring in Brexit and so on. And 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 those who feel that they you know uncomfortable about having someone leading the country who doesn't seem to hold themselves or may not have held themselves to the same uh, values that they expected everyone else to? I don't know if it is an even split. The only person I've, I've heard, the only people I've heard saying, oh, we, we really want Boris to get on with it and focus and move on and, and deal with Russia are junior ministers from his cabinet who are hoping to get better jobs. Um, I haven't heard anybody sane saying that. I mean, <laughs> um, and certainly the polls don't suggest that, that there's an even split. I think there's a massive preponderance of people saying, this country is now an officially a laughing stock. I mean, Putin can't be bothered with the phone call. Uh, well, I mean, why would you? You, I mean, you don't want to talk to Boris. I mean, what's the point? Uh, quite clearly, he'll lie to you, and then he'll get off the phone. Uh, you know, but, but, uh, you don't but need going, that. going to the satire point, um, you know. Uh, People, when when they get outraged, they find humour in politics. But when they're apathetic, they just shrug and say, well, it's just the way, you know, we expect it to be. And do you think there is a degree of, of apathy settling in? Because, yeah, I mean, if you looked at, at what happened yesterday, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was horrific. The whole thing was horrific. If you think of, of, of the House of Commons as a sort of seat of, 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 of a, you know, ancient democracy, it, it was embarrassing, wasn't it? I think it was embarrassing, but I mean, it... We are now watching the events boiling up because of public anger, and that's not apathy. I mean, all sorts of things that, you know, Nick and I would write about or make jokes about got no traction at all in the last three years. You know, the PPE scandal. Well, people aren't very bothered by that. You know, massive fraud. Um, friends of Conservatives um, getting these vast contracts and then taking public money. No one's very bothered. They were bothered about the parties. They were bothered about one rule for them, one for us. And they got angry. And the reason Boris is in real trouble is not because of apathy, but because people have woken up, which is great. I mean, you've been a, a political observer, commentator, satirist for, for, for decades now. How do you feel this is going to play out? 
Um, yeah, I'm glad you didn't say profit or in any way sensible analyst. I'm nearly always wrong. Um, uh, largely, you are I my profit. Uh, uh, I'm always hoping things will will play out for the better. I mean, Boris said he's not going, which I'm hoping is is another lie. Um, and then he'll be gone tomorrow. So that that's my thought for the week. <laughs> Nick, how about you? Because Boris is a gift, though, isn't he? For all of uh, you know his shortcomings, the sort of larger in life, larger than life ebullience, the fact that he's a character, all of the things that, that that you pointed out earlier. In a way, you know, if you're going to be caricaturing someone, you need them to have some characteristics and some character. Well, the, the, you know, the I've been doing it for forty years, and there's always been somebody. I mean, I, I I'd be very happy to see Boris gone and. I'm sure the the next person in in the line will be just as as ridiculous and as as Ian said, you know, Spike said the whole world was run by idiots, and I think he's he pretty much nailed it. But um, uh, I mean, it's a great. I, I'm on a professional level. It'd be a great shame to see Boris go because um, he I can actually draw him, um, and he does have, <laughs> and and that was it was brilliant when Cameron was there because I could draw him as well. Um, uh, Theresa May was quite difficult to draw, but you know, <laughs> Boris, you just do that big mop of hair, and he's he's um, sorted. Um, but well, it'll uh, be at least trust you'll have to draw. Oh, please don't. That's, that's <laughs> well, well, there's always you can always go back to the tank shot. I mean, that's 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 a keeper, <laughs> isn't it? Yes, um, I did. I did draw her in the tank. That's her. That's her sort of um, her her iconic moment, isn't it? That's yes, uh, the the irony lady. Yes. <laughs> And how difficult uh, does does social media? You mentioned it earlier that the, the sort of speed with which the news moves on, or, or we're expected to move the news agenda on. How difficult does that make something like Private Eye, you know, which is a, a weekly publication, and and I presume slightly relies on the on the news still being the same or similar on Thursday as it was on Monday, which isn't necessarily the case anymore. Um, well, I mean, news always changes. It's just the cycle has speeded up in, in, in which people discard the one story and grab onto the next one. And mm. I'm, I'm quite a fan of slow news, and I'm certainly a fan of slow satire. Um, <laughs> I think a fortnight is a good uh, length of time to assess what you think is actually important, uh, rather than people going, oh, right, so he went to a party with 100 people. Uh, that, that, is that important? No, no, he had, a, he had a cake at his desk. He's, oh, that's equally important. And then it isn't equally important. It's a slightly different story, and it's not nearly as good as nailing him for the 100 on the thing. So you, a bit more time really helps um, so that you're not just chasing a tail. I mean, lots of journalists this morning saying, hey, the story is, it's all over. He's finished. He's, he, he's got through. Has he? I mean, that's the story you're telling. Um, uh, you've got to, I think, take a breath. Um, and that's that's very helpful for satire, is just to um, take it slightly more slowly. Uh, everything has been at such a, break, a breathtaking speed for the last three or four years. I mean, the, one of the, the features of, the, of the, um, the whole sort of Brexit campaign was the, the, the quantity of disinformation um, and, and, and fake news that was coming out of the the um, you know the Dominic Cummings um, pro Brexit camp. Uh, so the you know the 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 um, anti uh, Brexiteers couldn't keep up with the quantity of false information coming out. And this is what maybe this is what the strategy is. There's so many scandals we can't keep up with. You know you can't focus on one particular scandal because as Ian says you know you get another three overnight. And uh, before you can respond to that, there are another ten in the in the morning. You know, it's a um, so you're you're forever just chasing your tail, scandal wise, 
um, which may may be a very cunning strategy of the government that we all end up a bit weary of it. You know, it's um, and 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 well, no import it, it, is placed on it. The idea that there's a police investigation, the prime minister's being investigated by the police. That's a big story yeah. in the last forty years. But yeah. now it's oh good, he's being investigated by the police, so he'll avoid um, being investigated by a civil servant. Oh great, that's the take on that, is it? <laughs> it's 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 interesting uh, what Nick just said because Rory Stewart on 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 our breakfast program this morning told Stig and Asma that he he felt that this was possibly a strategy of the prime ministers just to keep the scandals coming because <laughs> if, if you keep the story going it never stops and sticks does it yeah. um yeah. just finally before you mm. go uh, very briefly I mean we're, we're constantly being told that comedy is under attack you know cancel culture is 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 the enemy of of of, of comedy um but if you look back to the goons' early days and Spike Milligan's own battles, do 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 you just see history sort of repeating itself, Ian? Um, yes, I mean, absolutely. I think com- comedians and 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 comedy is always sort of um, pushing the boundaries, and it's one of the things that makes it better. I mean, it's, it's an odd thing if you say you can do anything you like. Comedians are quite capable of being self-indulgent same with any artist any writer but if you say you're not allowed to do this they get fired up and they go right well i will find a way of doing this so um in a sense it's it's quite healthy thanks for listening to mariella meets with me mariella frostrup there'll be more from the podcast next week so make sure to download the free times radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my programme every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4, on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Hold up. 